You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. One of the reading of God's Word, the, the words, I, I forgot to put the scripture passage on the screen, so follow along in your Bible or you can listen or you can grab one of the Bibles under the seats there and follow along. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 beginning with verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. The, the Lord's Prayer marks the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, I've already preached on the whole fasting part. That was a, I think that was like the last week or, or of September, somewhere around there. And now we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. And this is the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. I don't know if you know what a monkey trap is. Anybody hear of a monkey trap before? Monkey trap? Um, So I, I heard of it. I never took the time to look for videos about a monkey trap I, until this week. And so I, I found one video, and, and basically a monkey trap is, it, it can be the form of really anything, but uh, put something that is attractive to that monkey that that monkey wants in a hole uh, that is large enough for it to put his hand in, but small enough to where if he clenches his fist, cannot pull his hand out of the hole. That's a monkey trap. And so I watched this video, and this guy, I think it was in Africa, he put something, I think it was something shiny, something, and there were monkeys watching, and so he went up to this, uh, this, this termite mound, which is pretty large, it's hardened, kind of like concrete, and he put one of those in the hole, and then kind of stepped back out of sight, and you could see this one monkey walk up, put its hand in the hole to get what this person put in the hole, and then tried to pull his hand out, and he was stuck. And so the, the guy who put the thing in the hole was able to walk up while the monkey was wigging out, you know, spinning in circles, trying to get his arm out, but w- couldn't because he would not let go of the thing that he grabbed. And so the guy walked up, had a, had a rope with a noose, tied it around the, the monkey's neck, not to kill him, but to, to get a hold of him, and I don't know what it was that triggered the monkey to let go of that thing, but then walked the monkey up, tied him to a tree, and then he was a captive. Uh, that's a monkey trap. And so when I was contemplating this, this message, when I was thinking about this passage, I, I thought of monkey trap. Like Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then later on he says, you, know, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money at the same time. And I thought of monkey trap. I, I, when... You know, we have a tendency to just 
hold on to things and we don't want to let them go. And the enemy can use that as a way of ensnaring us and as a way of uh, holding us captive. And, and I was thinking about this, this poor monkey in the video. I was thinking about this monkey. You know, it's really a matter of per- perspective. Like for the monkey, he thought, I have to have this thing that's in the hole and I cannot let it go. And then he became, he was held, then he was, then he became enslaved or became a captive and was hauled off. And like we do the same thing. We're like, we hold on to stuff, whether, and I don't think Jesus is just talking about material stuff. He's talking about all kinds of stuff. Like treasures on earth isn't just the material stuff. It is, it, it could be a dream. It could be, you know, you, your, your job, it could, be, it could be what you want for your family, and it could be financial as well. We hold on to it, and we just don't want to let it go because we think that's where life is. I've got to have that thing. I've got to have that dream. I've got to have, I've got to have this. I've got to have that. And we just won't let go. And, and what Jesus does for us is he, 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 remember, the Sermon on the Mount is for the Christian. Like, he did not preach the Sermon on the Mount for the world. He preached it for his followers. This is what it looks like to follow him. And this part of the passage is really about perspective. Perspective is the angle that you look at something. Perception is how you interpret what, you, what, you, what you're looking at. Right? My grandmother used to say to me, there are three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the true story, what's really happening. Right? And then when, I do, when I have counseling sessions with, with couples, I, 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 it's one of the first things I tell them is that I, I share that's the thing that my grandmother always shared with me. And I said, you know, perception, your perception is the reality that, that the perceiver sees, right? So whatever you perceive is your reality, although it might not be the true reality. And Jesus is just, in, the, in these statements, is shifting our perspective, our line of sight, so that we can see correctly, so that our perception will be right. And I, I, I love what he does here. But when you read this, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I read this, tell me if you agree. Like, you read verses 19 through 21, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's a unit of thought. And then you get to verse 22 and 23. Does it seem to you like 22 and verse 23 don't belong there? Like, like if you took out verses 22 and 23 and just, just, and just read verses 19 through 21 and then skipped on down to verse 24, wouldn't that, doesn't that sound better? Like, where does this whole I thing come, out of, come from? Like, first he's talking about, Jesus is talking about treasures on earth and in heaven, and then he just talks about the eye. Good eye versus a, or a healthy eye versus a bad eye. And then he goes right back into the whole uh, material stuff again. There is a word that uh, I just want to share with you, and it's called hermeneutics. And how many of you know what hermeneutics is? So hermeneutics is a way you study the Bible. It's a science of studying the Bible. And I'm only sharing this with you not to sound smart. It's not a classroom lecture. But I think what I'm going to share with you is really important in terms of the verse 22 and verse 23. There is a, there's a phrase that's used. Sometimes you'll come across it when you're reading a commentary. Sometimes you might hear it from some theologian. And that phrase is hermeneutical key. Like there's a hermeneutical key here. What is the hermeneutical key? It could be a name. It could be a phrase in a verse. It could be an entire verse. It could be an entire section. I'll give you an example. The hermeneutical key for understanding Genesis through Revelation is Jesus Christ. 
The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. So when you read Genesis chapter 1 through 3, and then you get to chapter 3, and, and, and God says, you know what, Eve, through you, you will have, you'll have a child, and that child will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the hermeneutical key for understanding that, that, that chapter. Um, there's a hermeneutical key, I believe, it's in this passage that we're looking at here, and that hermeneutical key is verse 22 and 23. That's the hermeneutical key. I'm just going to read it separate from the rest of the passage. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's the hermeneutical key. If you understand what he's saying there, it will open up uh, verses, verses 19 through 21 and, and, and verse 24. It will open up that whole, the, the whole thing that Jesus is saying there. Not just that, though. This is kind of like part one of a two-part sermon um, in the Sermon on the Mount because when he talks about anxiety in verse 25, it's linked to the, what he says here about treasures in heaven. But we'll get to the anxiety part next week. Uh, so really, my first point is that we need healthy eyes. We need healthy eyes. Uh, you might read this, these verses, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You might read this and think, oh, so that's kind of like saying if your heart is spiritually healthy, that is the seat of your emotions, the center of your emotions, if that's spiritually healthy, then, this, then your steps and how you live out your life is going to reflect that. And maybe Jesus is saying the same thing, but he's just using the eye as an illustration for that. I think in part, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I think that's a legitimate way to, to look at this, but I think there's so much more going on here. Uh, and Psalm 119 is why one of the reasons why you might think, well, maybe he's just kind of using the eye in place of the heart. Let's read this together. Ready? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So you could look at verse 22 and verse 23 and, th and think to yourself, well, it's just kind of like the same thing he says, he says about the whole heart thing. I mean, after all, in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also right? So that, he could be saying that. But here's what I think. I think um, when Jesus was preaching his sermon, his disciples and everybody there who were all Jewish, mostly Jewish, that were listening to him, uh, would have understood him to say something a little differently. He would he, they would have understood this as something different. So, so the, the Greek word for bad that's used here for I, so if the I is bad, the Greek word is uh, uh, pan, pan, paneros, so it sounds like, por like pornography or pornea, uh, and it means evil. So liter like literally, it should be translated wicked or evil in our English Bibles. There's a, a Jewish idiom that says, you know, in the, in the form of a phrase, evil eye. Well, what's an evil eye? It's an eye that, uh, or a, a person with an evil eye, is, is a person who is looking at things covet, with covetousness. Like, I want that. I don't have enough. I need this. I, 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 don't have, you know, I don't have that in my life. Or, you know, and the list can go on. It's perspective. 
It's looking at the stuff around you thinking, my life is not complete. I need that or that person to make my life complete. And so Jesus said, if your eye is evil or wicked, if you have a wicked eye or an evil eye, uh, your whole body is going to be filled with darkness. Your life is going to be way off point. Your perception is going to be perverted. It's going to be distorted. You're not going to see reality as you should be seeing reality. Does that make sense? So, so this is the hermeneutical key. I think this is the hermeneutical key here. Uh, so, so if you have a healthy eye, well, what is a healthy eye? A healthy eye is, 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 is when you're able to see things in right perspective. And so I think understanding that opens up what Jesus says here about treasure and about money. So the other thing I want to point out to you is there's a Bible that Jesus used called the Old Testament, the law. The first five books of, uh, of Moses is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Jesus said earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them, to fulfill them. So he wasn't nixing the law. He just said, I came to fulfill them. In fact, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said uh, to one, one of the, I think, a Pharisee or a scribe, he said, you know, Moses wrote about me. He wrote about me. In the law, it was all about me. He wrote about me. It was pointing to me. And, uh, you know, if you won't listen to Moses, you, you're not going to listen to me. In the book of Deuteronomy, I'm setting all this up for, I, it will be worth it, so you got to just track with me, please. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is part of the law that Jesus said he came to fulfill, there's a helpful chapter in Deuteronomy that I think sheds light on what Jesus is saying here. And it's this, and the words will be on the screen. You can, just, you can follow along. Take care lest there, be any, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. Now what is, what, what is it what's being said there? Every seventh year was a year of Sabbath. In the, in the Hebrew calendar. It was, it was the year of Sabbath. Well, what would happen in the, the, the Sabbath year? Well, part of what would happen during the Sabbath year is that anybody who had a debt that they owed you, you were to forgive them of that debt. Well, well that doesn't sound fair. It was very fair. Remember, so where did the Hebrew people come from before they got Deuteronomy? Slavery. What did they own as slaves? Zero. <laughs> Nothing, right? And, and Moses, through, the, through God, delivered them, or God, through Moses, delivered them out of the bondage of slavery to where? To land that they did not work for. Wasn't their land. Why did God choose Israel to give them land? Uh, one, the land was only God's to give. I mean, God created everything. Well, God answered that question in Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 
That is language that's also used of the church, by the way. And I just want you to file that somewhere because we're going to go back to that towards the end of my sermon. But uh, you are a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, um, I chose you. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that, I, that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you, purchased you. That's what that word means, redeemed. Redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So every seventh year, Hebrew people, this is what I want you to do. I want you to extend on some level the same kind of mercy that you are recipients of, that I lavished upon you, you are to extend to those who are indebted to you. You get it? What's really cool about this, I kind of geek out over this, is is like, remember the, the, the Lord's Prayer? What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. This, this, is, a, this is a hermeneutical key. So, um, so <clears throat> this is why the Hebrew people included in the songs that they sang as they worshiped God, Psalm, like Psalm, uh, was it Psalm 16. Let's go to that. Let's read this together. Ready? The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now that psalm is for us, but it's also uh, it's a song that the Hebrew people sang. Well, why did they sing these kinds of songs? Because they were reminding themselves of the, of the grace and the mercy that God had lavished upon them. And so now, with that backdrop, let's go back to verse 22 and just let me just read it again. You can follow along in your Bible. The eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil or wicked, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So now we can kind of unpack uh, verses 19 through 21, uh, which is my second point. We need a right perspective to see the true value of earthly treasures. We need a right perspective to see true value of earthly treasures. And so, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, why, Jesus? Why, why should we not lay up treasures uh, on earth? And that literally, the, word, the Greek word for lay up is uh, stockpile. Do not stockpile treasures on earth. Okay, but why? Well, here's why. Because moth and rust destroy it, will destroy it, and where thieves break in and to steal, you're going to lose it. Like, you can't hold on to it. Like, the, the monkey had the illusion that he, you know, whatever it was that was in that hole, something he so desperately needed, was unwilling to let go, and what happened as a result? He became, a sla- he became enslaved. You can't hold on to it. You can't keep it. And the, the verb tense here, and I, I know this sounds academic, but this is important. The verb tense, is a, it's an imperative. So what it means is this. He's saying, be vigilant in not laying up treasures on earth. So you, work, you have to work at it. 
your heart will gravitate towards treasures on earth. You, 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 you'll just kind of find yourself gravitating towards that, and you've got to fight against it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in, his, in his, one of his sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, in this passage, he said this, he said, the great secret of life, according to our Lord, is to see ourselves and to conceive of ourselves always as children of our Heavenly Father. Like, you know, somebody asked me earlier this week that they were trying to make hoagies, Philadelphia hoagies, yeah, and they, they haven't been able to nail it down. Every time they make the hoagie, it doesn't turn out the way that they want. Well, I wanted to say there's secret sauce to it. Like, there's, there's, a, there's, there's some things that need to be a part of the hoagie for the hoagie, the Philadelphia hoagie, to taste really great, and you need to include that, and there's a certain process in that. I would say the secret sauce here of, of, of just life that Jesus is giving us <clears throat> is that... Um, that we can't hold on to our treasures on earth. And uh, there's something much, much more valuable. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the great secret of life, according to our Lord, is to see ourselves and to conceive of ourselves always as children of our Heavenly Father. That's the treasure. If only we do that, you know, if, if only we do that, we, will, we shall be delivered immediately from, the two, from two of the main temptations that attack us all in life, like we're all susceptible to this. We're all, we, we all find ourselves wandering you know, or being gravitating towards treasures on earth. So Jesus said, don't do it. Don't stockpile treasures on earth because moth will get to it, rust will get to it, and thieves can take it. Makes no sense. You're here and then you're gone. You're a flash and, uh, and, and you're gone. So you can either look at life this way, you can either look at life and say, I'm going to live it to the full as much as I can, I'm going to get as, experience it as much as possible because this is all I got, and after that I'm just food for worms. Or there's something much, much more going on in life and, mu- and something way beyond this life that we're actually eternal beings that will live, live for eternity either in heaven or in hell. And so Jesus says instead, and he uses the same tense for this verb. He said, instead, be vigilant. Be vigilant in stockpiling treasures in heaven. Now, I love this. And I'm going to unpack this in a minute. But stockpile treasures in heaven where, where uh, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he concludes in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, why does he say this? Well, the whole aspect of us just gravitating towards treasures on earth, I mean, we see this all over the Bible. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They saw this fruit, and they saw it with their eyes, and then they thought in their minds, well, I could be like God, and then their emotions were fully in, you know, invested in it, and they took the fruit and they ate it. First uh, John chapter 2 says this in, in verse 15. Let's, let's read this together, ready? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so that's why Jesus says, be vigilant in, in not stockpiling up treasures on earth. You know, like next week I'm going to be preaching on anxiety. This is the benefit of expository preaching because then I'm forced to deal with something I really don't want to deal with. Um, anxiety. Like, like, 
what do you do with that? I was actually talking to some folks after the first service. Like, like how, do you, how do you wrestle against this stuff? How do you, how do you, like, isn't there an easy button somewhere? Isn't there a magic switch to live the Christian life well? Like, and then you get to anxiety, which is part of this whole treasures in heaven thing. Like, I, I've, since September, I, I, I've getting, been getting on average about four to four and a half hours of sleep. Why? Because I wake up like 2.30 in the morning and my mind is racing. Why is my mind racing? Because I'm feeling all kinds of anxiety about just Meadowbrook primarily and just where we're going. And, and, uh, and then, you know, so I'm your pastor and I'm preaching on, anxi- on anxiety next week. Like, how do you do battle with that? Like, like how, do you, how do you turn your brain off? Come next week, you'll find out and you'll probably be discouraged at the end of my sermon. Um, it's hard. But that's not in my manuscript. Okay, got to get back on track. Um, but it starts with a right perspective. Like we, we saw this in the, in, in the Lord's Prayer, man. We, we exist for God. Like he's our heavenly father. He's Elohim. He's Yahweh. He's Adonai. He's our everything. And Jesus said, you know what? Lay up treasures in heaven. And I thought to myself, what does that mean? Now I've written a bunch, I've written several papers in Bible college and seminary on treasures in heaven, that the Christian will receive rewards, you know, in heaven. Um, So does this mean that, uh, like is Jesus saying here, like live your life for him and you'll get rewarded for that? You get like crowns, like some people think it's physical crowns, some people think it's recognition, like you'll be recognized for that. Is that the treasure Jesus is talking about here? I think that would be pretty depressing if it was. And here, I just want to share some scripture passages with you that I think will make sense of what that treasure is that should encourage your heart as it encourages my heart. Like Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said to his disciples, Hours before he was about to be betrayed on the cross, he said, or to be crucified on the cross, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. So he told them, I'm going away. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. The disciples were like totally like, depressed about that. Uh, they thought he was setting up a kingdom on earth right away, like there, that there would be no cross. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Rooms, right? Some translations say mansion or whatever. If it were not so, would I, would I have told you that I go to what? Prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, <clears throat> I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, is this something that we're working for? Did we build this thing? Is this, is this, are these rooms that we're like contributing to? Answer, No. <laughs> No, this is, he's doing this for us. And he's encouraged, he encouraged his disciples, and that encouragement is also for you, that he's, he's preparing something for us. All right, next passage in 1 Peter. This is a passage that I've read countless times in hospitals uh, at the bedside of dying brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I... I some of you know, you know who Cliff was, is actually, because he's in heaven. I read this passage in his room. 
when I was at the bedside of my mom, when the doctors were saying she wasn't going to most likely survive, I read this passage by her bedside. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, his great mercy, he has what? Caused. What did he cause? He caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? To an inheritance that is what, brothers and sisters? Imperishable, undefiled, and what? Unfading. It's not going to grow old. Can't be destroyed. Sin will never touch it. It's kept in heaven for you. The same place Jesus tells us to stockpile our treasures. This is kept in heaven for us. And who's guarding it? God is. Not you, not me. God is. He's guarding it. And through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what are those treasures that we're stockpiling in heaven? It gets better. 1 Corinthians. And this is just a small sampling of scores of verses in the Bible that talk about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> I mean 2 Corinthians, thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this, and he's writing about just this hardship that, the, that he and, the, and, and other disciples are experiencing, but this is about us too, this is for us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the jars of clay? What happens with a jar of clay? Anybody like drop a clay jar before? What happens? It breaks. We, we break while we're sleeping in, the, in our beds, right? Like, I, I've, four weeks ago, I was picked up weights and I set them down like this in the gym, and something went really weird in my back, and I felt excruciating pain, and I could barely walk. I was walking like Frankenstein in, in the office. Uh, I had like a Velcro belt thing around my, around my, my waist. John, <laughs> Jonathan, I think he said something to the fact he said, oh, old man Keith. <laughs> like, Yes, I know. This body is wasting away. Uh, we, we have this, these treasures in jars of clay. It's fragile. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to who? Us. We are afflicted in every way, not crushed, but you know, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he goes on to say this. He goes on, so we do not lose heart. Well, why, Paul, why do you not lose heart? Though our outer self, this tent, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of what? Glory beyond what? All comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what is our treasure that we're stockpiling in heaven? Uh, it gets better. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice. This is when redemption is complete. I heard 
a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and there will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so Jesus tells this parable later on in Matthew. It's just a short little parable. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a what? Treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Well, why would he do that? Because the treasure is infinitely worth more than anything else that he owns. And he's got to have that treasure. Jesus said, that's the treasure that is ours if you're a Christian. If you placed your faith and trust in him. That is the treasure that is ours. And so he tells us in verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So if you want to do an inventory in your life, um, you will find that where where your heart gravitates towards is what is the most, what is the thing that's priority in your life. Jesus here is just telling us, look, shift your perspective. If you, if you were able to see life the way that you ought to see life, that God is the center of the universe, then it will shape your perception. And this leads me to the, the final point, and this is brief, it's just kind of the application, we must understand that freedom can only come through one master. Um, you know, wherever your treasure is, that will be your master. Now, if you're like the monkey, you're like, I gotta have that job or that relationship or that experience or you fill in the blank, you put your hand in that hole and you grab onto it and you're just not willing to let go. You're like that monkey and the enemy is there just watching. He's got the rope and he's got the noose and he, he wants you to be enslaved. And Jesus says here, you know, you've got to fight against that and the only way you're going to, you're going to be able to keep from putting your hand in that hole is if your perspective is right. Like life is not about that thing that's in the hole. It's, a, it's about the God who is you know, at the center of the universe. You exist for him, and, and he loves you. Like he loves you. If you're a Christian, he treasures you. And, and so what is that treasure? Well, 1 Peter, just a few more passages. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read this together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might what? Bring us to God. What makes heaven heaven is not some crowns that you gather based on the way you live your life. What makes heaven heaven is you get who? God or Jesus. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Let's read this together. Ready? So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Like, why would you do that? Like, what's outside the gate? Golgotha is outside the gate. Why would you go there? Why would you go to the place where it's dangerous? Well, because we have a city that is not earthly. And, uh, and, and it belongs to us. It's been given to us by God. <clears throat> and when we get that city, we get God. So what makes heaven a treasure worth having above all other things? Well, it is the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. It is the light momentary affliction that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. It is Christ who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It is the place where, you know, that's not earthly. Because here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Ryan's going to come and lead us in a final song, but I just want you to think about that. What is this treasure that, that we're to set our affections on? What is this treasure that we're to stockpile? It's, it's already been provided. It's, it's given, like we didn't earn it. It's given to us. It's, we are children of the living God, if you're a Christian. All that is his is ours. And so Jesus says, like, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one or you'll love the other, or you will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Like, I quoted Tim Keller a bunch of times. Like, Tim Keller said, you know, our hearts are idol factories. We take good things, we make them into ultimate things. One of the things that we most often or are most prone to make ultimate is money. <clears throat> and it is, a, it is an angry mean, burdensome master. There is a master who will give you freedom, and that is Jesus. And that is, he's the only one that you can find freedom and, and experience freedom through. If you're a Christian, you are not a baboon. You are a son, you are a daughter of the God of all creation. And your treasure is him. I read something in a book earlier this week, and it's just uh, really great. It's just startled me. It's at the beginning of the book. <clears throat> it's called The Loveliest Place. It's by Dustin Benj. I, I would commend it to you to read it. It's really, really good. But he said this. He said, The church is not a Trinitarian afterthought in response to man's fall in the garden. Quite the contrary. The church is the focused domain where all God's presence, promises, and purposes are unveiled and eternally realized. That is ours, brothers and sisters. We're the church. Like if you are a Christian, you are <clears throat> blessed in Christ. You are made 
holy and blameless in Christ. You are predestined by his love in Christ. You are adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. You, uh, you have experienced the lavishing of God's riches in his grace in Christ. You are given, uh, given an inheritance in Christ. You are presented before the creation, all of creation, to the praise of his glory because of Christ, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit because of Christ. That is who you are. That is who you are. So when we sing this song, this final song, just think about the words that we're singing. Think about it in celebration of who you are in Jesus. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.